0: Welcome to Wind Up Weekly.
1: I'm Matthew Gorn.
0: And I'm Katie Canfield.
1: And we're here to share the week's news in wine.
0: This week on Wind Up Weekly. Spotlight on Brexit. What are the potential consequences for the British wine
1: industry? The WSET hold record-breaking food and wine pairing masterclass as part of Wine Education Week.
0: Pernod Ricard launch tea-infused wine.
1: And as ever, our Wine of the Week. So let's begin with our Week in Wine and Katie, you were once again in Seattle, in Washington.
0: That's right, and I must say, the restaurant and bar scene there becomes more appealing to me every time I visit. In fact, I keep thinking to myself what a great place it would be to live. Though we have looked into this in the past, haven't we, Matthew?
1: Yes, but it does rain there quite a bit.
0: And the real estate sure isn't cheap. Anyhow, I spent the week visiting different accounts alongside the distributor team. Uh, So on premise the first few days, hence why I'm so enamored with the food scene. uh, Try Il Nido in West Seattle if you're there in Seattle. Um, Their reservations are booked out for a couple months in advance. But if you you look into it and book in advance, then I highly recommend it. Great pasta. And then it was on to the off-premise accounts uh, for the last day. And it was working with the off-premise chain reps that was particularly fascinating to me as I've never worked with them before. And not only do they call on accounts trying to make placements uh, as you do with the on-trade as well, but their job also entails merchandising, sometimes daily, bringing out the product from the back of the store and stocking shelves or setting up displays when allowed. And I have to confess I had no idea that they put so much on-the-ground effort. So I've got a whole... New respect for those that do the job well.
1: Yeah, I had no idea that the sales reps actually are stocking the products themselves. What a lot of work they must put in.
0: And now for the news.
1: We try to avoid talking about Brexit because it depresses us so much and also because there is so much uncertainty as to what will happen. It's almost impossible to discuss the consequences of Brexit. But as Prime Minister Boris Johnson is prepared to risk a so-called no-deal Brexit in which the UK leaves the EU without any trade deals, the Wine and Spirit Trade Association, the WSTA, made clear this week what that would mean for the drinks industry.
0: That's right, and although the government had agreed with the industry to waive paperwork on imports for nine months to ease the transition in leaving the EU, this week they reneged on that deal. So now producers wanting to export to the UK would have to fill out VI1 import forms and undertake extra lab tests. The WSTA predicts that would be too much for small producers to handle and would cost the industry an extra £70 million annually. Ironically, given that leaving the EU is supposed to reduce bureaucracy, the amount of paperwork the industry would have to deal with would rise dramatically. So for the consumer, this would mean a sharp spike in prices on top of any tax increases, rising inflation, potential tariffs, and a weaker pound. But the chancellor of the exchequer, Sajid Javid, has a cunning plan. Duty-free purchasing on alcohol and cigarettes would return for those able to travel to and from Europe. This populist move would be beneficial to drinkers, as duty on alcohol is the fourth highest in the current EU. Duty on a bottle of wine is £2.23. It is worth noting that 14 countries in the EU already have no duty on wine at all. So this all seems a bit shady, Matthew. What's your take on it?
1: Shady indeed. All part of the uh, huge uncertainty about what's happening in the UK and what direction it's going in. Certainly um, prices on wine are going to go up. Uh, not just um, European wine, because of these different um, trading rules which will emerge on some level, uh, but also because the pounds going to be weaker and so all wines going to be more expensive. That's going to be difficult for the wine industry to cope with. And then you have this announcement that they'll be duty-free purchasing on alcohol. Well, as many of these countries don't actually charge duty on wine, it may actually not make that much difference.
0: Yes, and the WSTA chief executive, Miles Beale says it's due to the government not understanding the value of UK wine industry, nor the value of imports. Sounds familiar, as it's much in the same way as Trump here in the USA does with his threats on tariffs for French wine.
1: Yeah, which is still ongoing. The US still hasn't announced what kind of tariffs they may... Uh, levy on French wine or European wine, or may not. So the confusion continues.
0: And Beale goes on to say that there's a a simple solution uh, to suspend the introduction of pointless import certificates and use the time to develop modern import rules that are fit for purpose. So what are the chances of that happening, Matthew?
1: Well, this is the astonishing thing about Brexit. There is absolutely no organisation or planning for what is going to happen in the future. It's just a game of Brinkmanship.
0: Well, in the end, what I've gathered is that this duty-free business is just a bit of sugarcoating what's going to be a very difficult Brexit if there's no deal.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of sugarcoating going on. This week, the WSET held a Global Wine Education Week, with more than 450 events held across the world in 45 countries. It was held to celebrate 50 years of the WSET, which was launched in 1969. The events included tastings, food pairings and educational classes, all wine related to raise awareness of both the WSET and wine itself. The event which attracted the most publicity was a wine and food pairing masterclass hosted by Ollie Smith and Vittorio Gennaro and held in London. It was attended by 339 people beating the world record attendance for a sommelier-led food and wine masterclass. Yes, there really is a world record for everything. But we're all for anything that raises appreciation of the joys of pairing food and wine. And this wasn't the only food and wine event, as the sessions held over the course of 24 hours on Monday in 24 countries, starting in New Zealand and ending in California. And Katie, you were involved in helping promote some of the events in San Francisco. Can you uh, list some of them?
0: That's right. Last week, Grape Experience, a wine and spirits school, organized two events in San Francisco, one wine focused and the other spirits. The first was the Wines of the World Tasting Experience hosted by Grape Experience director Adam Chase, uh, and he led the group through a guided tasting kind of introducing the range of WSET courses in wine, spirits and sake. And the second was Spirits Focused, um, introducing the launch of the WSET Level 3 Award in Spirits, featuring an expert panel discussion and award-winning cocktails from Elixir's H. Joseph Ehrman.
1: Yep, so not just wine. I have to say I'm tempted to do the Level 3 Award in Spirits at some point. Though It's supposed to be rather difficult, but I think it'd be a fascinating course to undertake.
0: Well, they do say once you take the level three in spirits, then you're equipped to becoming a distiller.
1: Yeah, one step at a time. Many wine thinkers complained about a lack of innovation in the industry, causing it to miss out on broad markets. But here's an innovation from global drinks business Pernod Ricard, tea-infused wine. The brand is called Tea & Wine. And there are two lines a chardonnay infused with egyptian chamomile blossoms and a cabernet sauvignon infused with sri lankan chai they're made by infusing the wines after fermentation a process that took two years and hundreds of trials to successfully create the motto is me time to a tea based around the concept of the solitary pleasures of drinking a cup of tea with the indulgence of a glass of wine the wines are currently only available in australia retailing at 22 Australian dollars, the equivalent of 15 US dollars a bottle, but it's successful. The project will be rolled out across the world. So this is sounds like a new thing, but I did do a little internet search which revealed that there is a Pennsylvania winery that already does this. They mix black tea, peaches, and white wine to make a peach twine. Hmm. Thoughts, Katie? Well,
0: it's funny because I just had a conversation about this with a colleague earlier in the week. Uh, we were discussing all the new trends and, you know, wines infused with cannabis and, and the like, and how a tea infused wine through co fermentation may be the way to bridge the gap between the health conscious millennials and wine products. Chamomile infused Chardonnay was actually one of our ideas.
1: What a coincidence. Um, So apparently they did um, try co-fermentation and it didn't work. Mm. So they thought infusing afterwards worked best.
0: Well, all this brings to mind my beloved Earl Grey IPA at Marble Brewery. You remember the Marble Arch pub was just around the corner from my flat in Manchester, Matthew?
1: I do indeed. Great pub, great beers.
0: Yes, I must admit it was one I frequented during my brief six months in the UK.
1: Yeah, so these experiments in beer... Um, often work that you can have some unexpected um, results but the Earl Grey IPA was absolutely fantastic. So could it work with wine? I have to say it makes more sense than aging wine in bourbon barrels or with um, infusing with cannabis because I think you could have some um, nice interplay between aromas but still need to try them to see.
0: When will they be available in the US?
1: Depends how successful they are in Australia. (coughs)
0: our wine of the week
1: which is katie
0: Pedro longa tinto do yumia rias bajas 2016. rias bajas is a well-known spanish region famous for its aromatic highly acidic white wines made from albarino but it also makes a small amount of red wine as well and this week we got the rare opportunity to try one there are six black grapes permitted but this wine is made from the three most important mencia a favorite of ours Famous in nearby Bierceau and Ribera Sacra, Caño Tinto and Espadiero. These last two we're not quite as familiar with, but they're also grown in vino verde across the border. So what does it actually taste like? It's pale-colored, light-bodied, alcohol is just 12%, lightly tannic with aromas of red fruits and flowers. The most distinct impression we got is that it's very fresh and extremely acidic. This is definitely a wine to be drunk with food and the acidity cutting through anything rich and fatty. Thanksgiving wine, anyone? Definitely worth checking out for your wine, for you wine geeks out there. And it retails for less than $20. Yeah,
1: This may be the most acidic red wine I've ever had. And I've had red, what, lots of red wine from the Loire. I've had red wine from Champagne. I've even had red wine from England. But this had an astonishing level of acidity, uh, which really makes it food friendly. As um, as you mentioned, Katie.
0: And Matthew, there's still a little bit left.
1: How on earth did this happen?
0: Well, I know what I'm having with dinner.
1: A little sip of red riash-paishash.
0: Cheers to that. So that's it for Wind Up Weekly this week. I'm Katie Canfield.
1: I'm Matthew Gorn.
0: Join us next week on Monday for another Wind Up.
1: Cheerio.